understand that whatever happens here is for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, for his name to be exalted and lifted high. Our first Sunday together in 2015, it is exciting. I know the last couple, what, week, two weeks, you've been inside and you've been kind of laying around eating food the whole time. And now we're just kind of like, we're peeking out the curtains like, whoa, what's happening out there? And, and you have come to church to worship. Praise God for that. If this is your first time to Big Woods, a special welcome to you. We're going to be involved in a series. The, the bulk of this year, we're going to be um, doing an expositional study on, on the book of First Peter. I love the book of First Peter. It's going to be called Stand, with the subtitle of Stand in Christ, on Christ, and for Christ. But before we start that, I have really been burdened, and I've been praying for the last couple of months. We're going to spend about four to five weeks on a topical subject, a topical message. So you'll be flipping around a couple different texts each week on what I refer to as creating a culture of evangelism, how important it is for us. A lot of emphasis. Do we, do, do we focus on evangelism or discipleship? Discipleship or evangelism, we focus on both of them because that's exactly what God's Word tells us to do. So we're going to trust God to lead us over these next couple weeks as we are trusting Him to create a culture of evangelism that exists um, with authenticity uh, within Big Woods Bible Church. So let's bow our heads and we'll pray together as we launch into this study. Father, as we come before you with hearts that are quiet, heads that are bowed, we do that, Lord, recognizing who you are in all of your authority, all of your might and power and glory, your holiness. We recognize, Lord, in your sight how unworthy we are, how unholy we are. But we thank you that it is through the Lord Jesus Christ and his work on the cross that we can come to you as a father opens up his arms and allows a young child to run to him. We come to you like that. And Lord, we come to you, Heavenly Father, asking that you will guide us Guide us as a body of believers throughout the course of this next year. Father, help the focus to be on you. Help us, Lord, to think of you and to think of others before we ever think of ourselves. Father, we need help to do that, and we ask that you would give us that help. Give us that strength. We thank you for the amazing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, I would ask that you would give to us wisdom as we learn how to share and to show others, to shout to others what you've done, who you are. Bless us now as we learn, guide us, and ultimately may you be glorified. We ask this in the strong name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I have to be perfectly honest, I am excited where we are at as a church. I'm even more excited about where we are 
going as a church. With that excitement, I I want to remind you that over the next couple weeks, we're going to talk about, A, the importance of sharing the, the gospel, but also, B, how to do it, how to share the gospel. This message, gospel, literally means what? Good news. It's good news that there is a holy and a loving God who looks down and sees you, knows you, that cares for you, and loves you enough to send his own son to die on the cross in a place that you and I deserve to die. And because of that sacrificial death, we can have a relationship. You and I, little tiny us, can have a personal relationship with a holy God. It, it's that message of the gospel. When it, when it comes to, okay, sharing this good news, I am immediately reminded of a portion in Scripture of, of Jesus when he meets the woman at the well. Um, John chapter 4, it seems to be the perfect proof text on how to do this and how to do this Well, excuse the pun. John chapter 4, what has happened? Early part of Jesus' ministry, we know already that he has gathered, he has called his disciples unto himself. We know that he has already performed this amazing miracle at the wedding of Canaan Galilee, turning water into wine. Passover time, he has come in and he has cleaned house to the temple. We know that in John chapter 3, he meets with this Pharisee at night, Nicodemus. He shares with him the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus heads on a journey, and he stops in a little town called Samaria. It's midday, the sixth hour, 12 noon. He's hot, he's thirsty, he sits by a well, and a woman comes up, and he asks for a drink. He's thirsty. And there's a conversation that ensues. And the conversation that ensues is more than about one who has um, his physical thirst quenched. The conversation points about what? The spiritual thirst of one's soul. Jesus Christ says this, and I quote, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Speaking of the water from this well, Jacob's well. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. There's this image that I have of you and I as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the responsibility of taking this this glass of cold, refreshing water and offering it to those who are thirsty. That's really what we're called to do. The problem is this. Whenever we take a, a glass of cold water and we pass it on, we touch that. We leave smudges and smears all over it. And we're just trying to get the thirsty person some water. And whatever we touch, it seems that we mess up in some way. Now, this is nothing new. Go all the way back to when Jesus Christ taught his disciples about sharing their faith, sharing the gospel, sharing the good news with others. It was what? It was very organic. It became very natural. It was very spirit-led. It was relational, pouring into the lives of one another. 
And what happened in that first century? What happened in that early church? The gospel, the church literally exploded in growth and in impact in a society. And it was not a formula. It was not programmatic. It was not even pragmatic all the time. And yet, and yet what happens is that when we enter this, we smudge. We smear things. You could go back in history and you can actually look how, how actually we have hurt. People have hurt the sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ because we have an idea. Of this is how it needs to be done. Go all the way back in the history books. The Crusades, what? Conquer under the cross. How about this for an evangelistic tool? Put your trust in Jesus or I will kill you. That's really some of the initial thoughts. How, how wrong and twisted is that? Or how about the acknowledgement of what? The so-called formal church, the, the corner market, the only authority that you must succumb to the power of the papacy with all of its man-made beliefs and confessions to priests and pain of indulgences and the purchasing of one's forgiveness and hoarding and holding the truth from the common man. What, what damage came as a result of that approach? Or how about the movement where thousands gathered, crusades all over the place, and there's, what, there's the preaching and there's the plea, and, 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 and many, many, many hundreds and droves come forward. They make a confession with their mouth, but there's no difference in their life. And many people fall away. Within the last couple decades, there has been more of an emphasis of what you need to do in order to, to give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ is walk up the aisle and recite this prayer or repeat this prayer after me or, or, or we're to knock on people's door cold turkey and tell them if you don't trust Jesus you'll go to hell forever and so repeat this prayer and so we become salesmen pressuring people to to say something and what has happened as a result of that we know that throughout history the gospel has and it will continue to spread in spite of man's plans and in spite of man's programs as dangerous or erroneous as they may be. But I think it's, it's imperative, it's important to return to the plan that we see in Scripture, the truth of God's Word that tells us. We're going to take what? Take the instruction. We saw what happened. We did an entire study for a year in the book of Acts. What we need to do is we need to take this glass of cold water and offer it with as, as least, as little bit of involvement in ourselves as possible. We need to, what, what, I, what, what I call, create a culture of evangelism. I, I read a neat little book. It was given to me several months ago at a conference, and I kind of put it on a shelf, and you work your way through it. So this past, this past fall, I, I picked up a little book by Max Stiles, and it's called Evangelism, a real catchy title on the subject of evangelism. Max Stiles is a good Southern, Southern Baptist boy, but he, he planted a church in the UAE, United Arab Emirates. 80%, 85% of the population are expats from all over the world, and there's this cultural mess. And yet what's interesting is that the gospel traverses all of that culture. And it gives to us a single, simple message. That's what we have to give attention to. 
Officially, a culture has to do with shared ideas, shared language, and shared understanding on how to act. Officially, the definition of culture, according to Webster's, is this. A particular form of civilization, especially the beliefs, customs, arts, and institutions of a society at a given time. The culture can be broad. There's the Chinese culture, the food, the dress, the language, or it can be narrow. There's your own family culture. Some families peel their carrots. Some families don't peel your carrots. You don't even think about it. That's what we do. It's natural for us. A culture of evangelism, Stiles talks about the fact, has common biblical ideas. It has common biblical language and shared biblical actions. And I love that. The definition, according to Webster's, of evangelism is what? Zealous preaching and spreading of the gospel. Isn't it interesting that Webster's actually used that, that word? Years ago, zealous preaching and spreading of the gospel, zeal for a cause. Now, please understand, when you hear that word zeal or zealousness, this does not mean... Let's turn the lights up. Let's create the strobe effect. Turn the music volume up here and create some kind of a, an entertainment to attract and draw the masses, what I call an Easter pageant program approach to evangelism. Let's give a loud light show that is solely intended to entertain the masses. Hear me on this. The church will never out-entertain the world. The church should never out-entertain the world. Why? Because that's not the purpose of the church. That's not why we exist. We exist with one single purpose. It is what? We exist to bring glory to God, first and foremost. The primary means that we bring glory to God is to tell other people about the good news of Jesus Christ, the the message of the gospel that he has given to us. It says in Matthew chapter 28, what we go, we tell others, and we make disciples. It's really not, it's not that difficult. It's not that complex. We're the ones who complicate it. I love the testimonies with last week that Seth shared with us about that boy, 17-year-old senior in high school. He's a believer. He lives in a restricted country. He lives in a country that is hostile, that, that hates the gospel message. And he said this, I quote, 17-year-old boy, I will spread his words like winds to my people and lead them to the light that is brighter than the sun. That boy gets it. That's the reason he exists, so that he can do that. A 17-year-old kid gets it, and we complicate it. We smudge and smear a simple message of trying to get that out with as little bit of us as possible. What we need to do is know and trust and rest in the fact that God has simply called us to love and to care for people. And in loving and caring for people, we will speak truth into their lives. And God will draw unto himself those people. 
You and I, we do not need to sell a product. You don't have to push or peddle anything. Getting people to respond to recite a particular prayer that you can then tell other people that you had involvement in. No, it's not that. It's not about that. What we need to do is trust God. Trust God that he will make us what? Obedient. Trust God that he will make us faithful. We create a culture of evangelism that first and foremost, number one, is motivated by a love for Jesus. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to draw our attention to verses 14 and 15. Number one, we create a culture that is motivated by a love for Jesus. Listen to what Paul writes to the church at Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us. Wow. Really? I thought a lot of other things. No, no. According to what we read in Scripture, the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ for many people could be described as having a huge stone boulder and trying to push it up a steep hill. Not easy, not fun, not pleasant in any way, simply a chore. But when you spend time with people whose motivation for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, whose motivation for telling others the good news of Jesus Christ is what out of a love for Jesus, I'm doing this because I simply am in love with him. The whole situation, the entire situation changes. You see, when a person recognizes and and they truly recognize what Jesus Christ has done for them. Jesus Christ paid a price that you and I could not pay. Jesus Christ paid a price that you could not pay. I have done some really stupid things in my life. If I were to kind of measure, one of the stupidest things I've ever done in my entire life, it's right up here. Years ago, I was pastoring in Maine. Hunting is a bit, hunting's big in Pennsylvania. Hunting is like really big up north in Maine. And they have a day, it's called Junior Hunting Day. Seth was 12 years old at the time. Basically, the rules for junior hunting day, the day before regular hunting season opens, a 12-year-old boy can go out as long as he has a parent with him. He, the rule is this. You can shoot anything you want to shoot. Don't shoot like a moose. That was the only thing. Cats and dogs, okay, that's off. Anything else, any deer, any bear, coyote, birds, whatever, you just shoot it. Seth and I were out driving in, in this old Jeep that I had, our only vehicle. 
all day long. Normally, there are deer running and jumping all over the place, and there was nothing the entire day. We're driving, and we're walking, and we're driving, and we were driving, we were back on this old wood road, and we had come across a a, a river, a, a, a stream of some sort, that a, a beaver had actually dammed up the road and it flooded the road entirely. And it was just a river. It was a rushing river in front of us. We come to this and I'm stopped and I'm like, wow, that's an awful big river. I said, Seth, I said, what do you think? You think dad can make it through there? Put it in four-wheel drive. Ask a 12-year-old boy if he can take a Jeep through the river. And we, we, let's try it. I remember backing up revving it up and driving in. It's about halfway through. Literally, literally, the whole hood goes under and we are completely sunk. We climbed out the windows onto the hood. And as we look, there's pools. And now a change of oil just pouring out. And I was like, this did not go well at all. We ended up walking miles got my Jeep towed, and I remember I took it to a mechanic, and he looked at it, and, and it was bad. He said it blew the pistons out the bottom of the oil pan, whatever that means, but it was really bad. I needed a new engine. He said, it's going to cost you at least $2,000. I think it was 1850 or 1950 And I was like, I, I, I do not have. I said, if I pay you like a little bit for the next 100 years, will you like maybe consider he was reluctant, but he agreed to that. About a week later, it was our only vehicle. About a week later, I, I went back to, to get it and offer him a, a little bit for the first. And, and I remember it was 2000 It might as well have been $20,000. I did not have it. And he handed, me, he handed me the keys and he handed me a little yellow slip and it had literally written in it, paid in full, and it was circled. And I was like, well, who? He's like, don't know. To this day, I have no idea. I have no idea. All I know is that there was a bill that was so big, and I couldn't do a thing about it. And someone stepped in, paid it off. Let me, how much, how much more valuable is the soul of a person than the engine of a Jeep. How, how much longer does the soul of a person last in comparison to a Jeep or anything in this world for that matter? Do you understand that? And Jesus stepped in and he paid for the price of your sin in my sin. Does that, does that appreciation, does that recognition motivate you to increase your desire to tell other people, you wouldn't believe I was so dead. And Jesus paid the price. It's exactly, exactly what Paul had in mind when he writes to this church at Corinth. What does he say? He says, the love of Christ controls us. Not, not the love of yourself, not the love of your own career, not the love of your own giftedness, not the love of your own home or the silliness in this world. The love of Christ controls us. 
All right, this, we have concluded one has died for all. He died for all that those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for him. Might no longer live for themselves, but for him. You and I no longer live for ourselves, but for him. This verse, that one verse, that demands what I refer to as radical attention. To be obedient to Scripture literally must affect every single detail of one's life. No longer live for themselves, but for Him. Practically speaking, living for Him means living like Him. That's what it means. Living like Him means what? We have a single purpose in life. Just like when Jesus came to this earth. We celebrated His birth at Christmas time. Remember the little baby? Came to this earth. God comes to this earth. He comes with one purpose in mind. We are to live with one purpose. Not on a list and somewhere down around 11, 12. Share the gospel. No, there's one purpose. There's a single goal that is bigger than anything that we can tangibly see around us or touch around us. That's what it means to live like Him. This is what living and looking to offer hope into the lives of others, to speak truth into the lives of others, because that's exactly what Jesus Christ did, and that's exactly what you and I are called to do. We create a culture that is motivated by love for Jesus. Secondly, we are to create a culture that is confident in the gospel. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. A lot of, um, lot of lists and goals um, that are being written out and stuck onto mirrors and, and, and magnets on your fridge over the next 12 months this year. Let, let me encourage you to, to write out Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 and begin to make that visible every day of your life. Listen to what it says. Paul writes to the church at Rome, the Holy Spirit speaks to you and to I this morning, and he challenges us with this truth. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It is the power of God for salvation. The gospel has power to save lives. When we lose, when we lose confidence in the gospel... That's when what? That's when the smudges and the smears start. That's when the tricks. We we lose confidence in the gospel and we think that we have to somehow add to this or sell this product. Go on a field trip. Dads, take your kids out. You can drive in any town around here. You can leave the state and drive in any town across this entire country and you will find old, abandoned, dilapidated churches with boarded up windows all over the place. Crumbling paint that is chipping. Those churches, those buildings at one time, many of those churches, 100, 150, 200 years ago, many of those churches were established upon the truth of the gospel. 
And, and, and there, were, there was great planning to went into the building of those. There was great sacrifice. There were celebrations. There were dedication ceremonies and, and ribbon cuttings and bands that played and songs that were sung. And you see them all over the place. What happened? What happened? The question inevitably needs to be asked. When did that church lose confidence in the gospel? Because a church that rests solely upon the power of the gospel is not shutting its doors. It only moves forward. A church that gets off the focus from the gospel and begins to say, well, we, we want this and we don't want this or we don't want to... That's when what? That's when you lose the power of the gospel. Paul intentionally chose to the Holy Spirit's leading. God himself wrote this word, power. It's the word dunamis in Greek. We get our word, what, dynamite from it. That's, that's power. Think about this. The gospel carries with it the what? The, the all-powerful message of God that is able to save souls from sin and death and hell and in addition to that, offer life forever. That's pretty powerful. What's interesting is that we have this innate desire inside of us to be changed. And we're reminded of it at New Year's more than any other time of the year. Everyone makes it go, this year, 20, totally different. The new me. Gonna be, I'm going to be healthier. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be smarter. I'm going to be more disciplined. I'm going to be wiser in my relationships. We're going to lose weight. We're going whatever it is. This year, I'm going to have I'm going to have more money than ever before. I'm going to attain more prestige or influence or affluence. People have this desire to change inwardly. Why? So they feel better about themselves. Ultimately, less guilty and more content. And there is a host of self-help programs and philosophies and religions in this world that promise that and will, for a very brief period of time, make you feel better about yourself. But understand this and hear me on this. No man-made scheme, no man-made plot or ploy can remove the sin in our lives that brings the feelings of guilt and discontentment. There's only one thing. There's only one thing can do that. The Bible makes it very clear. Jeremiah chapter 13, can the leper change its spots? Rhetorical question, uh, no. It sits in its spots for the rest of its life till it dies. Can the leper change its spots any more than you can do good who are accustomed to do evil? That's the truth of Scripture. Men cannot spiritually... Women cannot spiritually be changed or saved or made good by doing good things. Only according to the truth of Scripture, what Romans chapter 5, while we were still weak. Such a descriptive term of our lives. While we were still helpless. While we were still needy. While we were still sinners at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. That is a message that is a powerful message of hope and redemption that we have to share. Share that. Share that. 
Thirdly and finally, we're to create a culture that is aware and understands the danger of entertainment. Ezekiel chapter 33. I will read it. It'll take longer for you to find it. Listen to this, 30 and 32, 33, 32. As for you, son of man, your people who talk together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses, say to one another, each to his brother, come and hear what this word is that comes from the Lord's. And they come to you as people come and they sit before you as my people and they hear what you say, but they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths they act, their heart is set on their gain. And behold, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument, for they hear what you say, but they will not do it. Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 30 through 32. What is this talking about? People talked about the preaching of this ancient prophet Ezekiel. And they talked about it in the so-called social network of their day. There was no Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. There were not constant news feeds. So it says what? By the walls and by the doors, they got together and they said, you have got to hear this guy preach. It's unbelievable. He is funny. Oh, my goodness. I was crying. I was laughing so hard. Then I was weeping. And people were drawn to this. People were attracted to this. And God actually warns Ezekiel, you've got to be careful because people will listen to you, but they will not obey the words. They'll listen to the message. In a sense, what? Their ears are stopped. You realize exactly, exactly the same thing happens? That people think that the gospel of Jesus Christ, well, it's kind of light, so let's add to it. With the rock star pastors or, or the entertainment, let's crank the noise up and let's crank the lights up. And we have pastors that are being treated like celebrities, drawing paparazzi to themselves. As opposed to saying, wait, wait, no, there is nothing that we have to add to the gospel of Jesus Christ in order to make it new or exciting. There's nothing that we have to do. We have to stay constant and we have to stay consistent. We don't alter or reinvent the message of the gospel in any way. People have tried it to great danger and great harm. For a while, it was easy believism. You walk an aisle and you just recite this prayer, raise your hand, I see that hand, and and recite this prayer, and there is no difference in their life. And there's a false understanding, a false belief, because you wrote a date in your Bible and you said this prayer that you're good to go, and that's a lie from the pit of hell. It's not easy, but it's what? It's, It's offering our life, and it's surrendering to His authority the truth of the gospel, to seeing Jesus Christ as Lord as well as Savior. So the thoughts that why prosperity theology, sadly America, our own country, has been the cesspool that has pumped this false teaching into countries all over the world. Put your trust in Jesus and you're going to be blessed amazingly. So this will be your best life right now, forever and ever. Kids will be beautiful, get great grades, probably have a big house. Just trust Jesus. Just say the prayer. Give your life to Jesus. He's got an amazing plan for you. No, according to what we see in Scripture, you follow Jesus, it's going to get pretty hard for you. Prosperity theology is dangerous. It's damaging. 
We don't alter and change the gospel. Others have been this emotionally driven faith. You have to have this warm, fuzzy experience. I just don't feel it. It doesn't matter what you feel. What matters is the truth, whether or not you accept and acknowledge the truth and live according to it. That's what matters. We don't, we don't alter it. We don't add to it. We don't detract from it. There is great danger in trying to win masses by creating a message that sells well. Instead, what do we need? We need God's help to make us obedient and to make us faithful. May may we trust the Lord to allow us to have a culture. We don't it's in our it's natural for us to talk about what Jesus Christ has done. You wouldn't believe what he has done in my life. We create a culture that is motivated by love for Jesus. We create a culture that is confident in the power of the gospel and doesn't settle, but aware and understands the danger of entertainment. I would encourage you at this very moment, in this very moment, we're going to pray. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your own heart and to trust Him to make the changes in your own life that need to be made. To to be reminded of how important it is for you and I, what? To naturally just, just, it pours, it seeps out of us about what Jesus Christ has done. We are so grateful for that. And you will see God use you. You'll see God use your family. You'll see God use this church in an amazing way because he, he alone gets the glory as the only one to rescue us from our sin. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. I, I desperately need your help. God, remove, help me to remove myself. Help all of us to leave as few of the smears and smudges and to communicate with great care and love for those that are around us. Help us, Lord, to be able to see our family members, own family, our neighbors who are lost, colleagues at work, classmates, help us, God, to see and to care, to live with a purpose like you have and share with them the hope that only comes through Jesus. God, help us to do that. Help us, Lord, to do that and do that well so that you alone are glorified. We ask this in Christ's name.